Hey there, and welcome to the memoir my dad wouldn't write. This is a limited series of conversations between a daughter and a father about the things that make us family and the items in my dad's 80 years that have helped to shape who he is today. You know, he's had this incredible life as a cultural worker, poet, professor, an activist, and mentor, but he wouldn't write a memoir. So this podcast is a way to get those conversations on to tape and to find out exactly what shaped this incredible and complex and far from perfect man that I love, Eugene Benjamin Redmond. If you've ever wondered what it would be like to be radically honest with your father and to hold no bars, well, sit back and enjoy. I think you're going to find this fascinating. So we're on uh, Marson. Yes, oh, yes. Um, oh, this is beautiful. So it was what, August 5th? Marson died August 5th. August 5th. That was a Monday morning. Monday night. That was a Monday night. She and died then the Monday world, night in okay. the hospital in New York. Yeah, and then the world found out Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning. But you know what? That made me think of uh, Baldwin saying, if we let them get Angela... Then she'll come for us. They'll, They'll come, come for us, us the next day. The next day. They take you uh, that night. If they take you in the morning, uh-huh. they'll be coming for us that night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, that leads off my poem uh, called "Angela the uh, Angel of Mercy." And Morrison was uh, responsible for publishing Angela Davis's uh, autobiography. autobiography. Exactly. At that age. I know. <laughs> she had lived several lifetimes, though, at that Precisely. age. Precisely. <laughs> Precisely. She had. And she the had. man, the brilliant scholar who taught her, said that she was one of the best students. This was a major monster scholar in mm-hmm. the world mm-hmm. that taught her at UC. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said that she was uh, among the top minds that he had encountered. Mm. Straight out of Alabama. Right. <laughs> Straight out of Alabama. Um, you know, which is uh one of the foundational spots for the black mi- migration. That's right. Uh Birmingham and my hometown of Meridian, Mississippi and yes. your your family's hometown of um uh what part of Mississippi was your mother from? Uh, Port Gibson. From Port Gibson, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And then your dad, Arkansas. your dad and his mother were from Arkansas. They were from uh, uh, they they mentioned Holly Grove, Hot Springs, uh, and Little Rock all and of the time. All the time, yeah, yeah. and the people movement. would go to places like uh, Lorraine, Ohio, which is where Morrison. That's right. Uh, was from. That's right. Lorraine, Illyria. Uh, Oberlin. Mm-hmm. It was a multi-part type mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, connections of cities. Mm-hmm. In fact, that was that's <clears throat> one of the um, things. One of the little sweet uh, Easter eggs in uh, Morrison's novel, *The Bluest Eye*, mm-hmm. when she starts to talk about 
how this town, this this uh, up south Midwest town that's a lot like Lorraine, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 and yeah, then she has yeah, that, yeah. she has that that line where she says, and they the women would uh, cock their head to the side and say they were from Meridian, yeah. and the way the word Meridian sounded, yeah, coming yeah. out of their mouths, yeah. But then she went on to to let us have it because that's what Morrison did. So she went on to let us have it and talk about how we just thought so much about our edges. Yeah. And, oh, my God. <laughs> she didn't let black people off the hook, honey. No. She was a loving uh, and open critic of us. He, even even as, yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. She loved us mm-hmm. to life. Yeah, <laughs> she did. She loved us to literature. Yeah. She loved us to greatness mm. to our best selves mm-hmm. even as she for those who couldn't take it could be crushing <laughs> she so could be true. crushing it is so so true honey yeah and you know you often tell that story of asking a room full of uh female scholars which morrison character what they like to be. Yeah. <laughs> what, what did you What did you ask them that? <laughs> well, we started off talking about the role of literature. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the practical role of literature? Mm-hmm. And it seemed that the the consensus, African consensus, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, <laughs> uh, was that the role is a role. Mm-hmm. is to role model life for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, okay, if that, if, does everybody seem to agree with that as part of it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, okay. We all would like to be Jamie. Mm. But what character in Morrison Wait, who is Jamie? What novel is that? The Eyes of Washington. Oh, oh, Janie. Janie. You said Jamie. Janie. You know that's my favorite book. Janie. I said, I said, you all would, wouldn't mind being Janie. I mean, yeah, in some instances. Now, yeah. Janie's story isn't uncomplicated, but I, I hear yeah, you. Keep yeah, going. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you can roll with Janie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> so, um, which Morrison character would anybody in this room even remotely <laughs> think about being like? Mm-hmm. And the reaction was, I wish the listening audience could see it because you had a, a hand go up like that. Well, first, first, yeah, that's right. A hand went up and then you saw a name being formed in a mouth over mm-hmm. here and a mouth over there, but it never came out. Because <laughs> they would think past yeah. two seconds and go, oh, wait yeah. a minute. She uh, yeah. she, she uh, burned her child for the insurance money. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. She uh, used cigarettes to burn her child's fresh. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. She slept with her best friend's uh, man. Oh, That's oh, right. wait a minute. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> she, she turned a blind eye as her... Child yeah. was molested by her father. With, she slept with <laughs> she slept with her mother's husband. Right. And um, right. And then uh, pity pity Picola for being raped 
But she also dreamed of falling in love with a man so he could leave her. Uh-huh. That, that, that's her, her con- that was her concept of love. Right. I'm dreaming of a man falling in love with me so he could leave me. Uh-huh. I mean, what a, what a, what a dazzling, mm. um, uh, almost unattainable, I mean, literarily <laughs> speaking. Right. And... Unspeakable definition of the origin of the mm-hmm. blues. Mm. I want him. I want him. I, I dream of a man loving me, so then he can run. He can run off and leave me. Mm. So what do I want to be like? So then they got angry. Mm-hmm. The, the women scholars that the you women asked. scholars got angry in the room. Like, why the fuck are you asking us something like that? <laughs> and one woman came up and hit me <laughs> on the show, like. What the fuck are you trying to do? <laughs> and then she and then she smiled and hugged. Right, but you and know she, what? You know what she said to mm-hmm. me? Mm-hmm. She said, uh, "What is it that uh, Trudy Harris, Trudy Harris called me?" The um, she said, um, "Oh my God, I can't think of what she said." And by the way, Trudy Harris is you're a royal. She said, "You're a royal thinker." No, no, the Trudy Harris. Every time she writes me, she uses a word that has a royalty. It means royalty. Right. Yeah. Oh, 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 great one. You know, she's female. But right. anyway, the point is, she when she hit me, she hugged me, and then she said, with your, with your badass thinking self, uh, mm-hmm. something you know. Think, you know mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. And True Deer is a, a great scholar of critic. black critic of uh, yeah. black literature yeah. and wrote a great piece about uh, the presence of the porch That's in right. uh, in black literature. And, and an analysis of Morrison's dependency mm. on Henry Dumas. Mm-hmm. In Southern Snow, mm-hmm. that book, that whole essay mm-hmm. on Morrison, uh, Morrison's um, uh, being being impacted, impacted by Dumas, and deeply informed and, by and, Henry Dumas. And for those listening, <clears throat> Henry Dumas was from Sweet Home, Arkansas, where um, the men and beloved are from. Where the men and beloved are from, and Henry Dumas is uh, a black writer. Who, uh, with whom my dad was a colleague uh, at the Experiment in Higher Education in East St. Louis, Illinois. Uh, Henry Dumas um, was cut down uh, in his prime, uh, killed by a New York City transit cop, wasn't he? Mm-hmm, uh, he, he had gone uh, <clears throat> home to New York, and uh, we know the story well, you know. Uh, so the cop said he brandished a knife. I mean, come on. <laughs> it was just one which, more. Which, one, was, which was never found. Right, right. It somehow mysteriously never found. Uh, one more instance of state violence. Um, I, I, I mean, something in me believes that what was special about Henry called out to that cop. And something in that cop's spirit said, I got to get rid of this. Uh, but anyway, he left behind some some manuscripts. And my dad uh, took up the mantle of handling his estate and came into contact with Henry Dumas's work. That's right. So tell me, how does she, how does she find Henry Dumas's well, work? Well, let me just say quickly about Henry Dumas yeah. and, and, and literary criticism. Uh, 
there's something called the shadow myth mm. that uh, has okay. been fleshed out by, come on, come on. by, Cl- by Clyde Taylor, my mentor. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ty- Clyde Taylor is a critic, uh, attended Howard University with Toni Morrison, mm-hmm. and knew and still knows uh, that uh, uh, the impact of Henry Dumas on Morrison. Mm-hmm. But what John Henry Clark, the 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 African centered scholar, mm-hmm. Afrocentric scholar, said to me. I remember at a party at Augusta Mann's house, mm-hmm. party for men in Harlem. He said we were talking about Dumas' death, yeah. and he said, "You know, Redmond John Henry Clark was blind. The great great scholar mm-hmm. has indebted to him." He said, "You know." There, the policeman that killed Henry Dumas, he may not have known himself that he was the assassin. Mm. You know, he was acting on orders from the devil. Mm. And you know, what some people see see the devil as. Clyde Taylor puts flesh on that idea of the shadow myth. Mm-hmm. And he says it's, it's historic in black thought and black folklore, mm-hmm. black belief. When a black person rises to a certain level of consciousness, mm-hmm. is launched into consciousness, mm-hmm. simultaneously... A killer, a, an assassin is launched mm. to shadow him. Mm-hmm. And when he gets to the most powerful or dangerous level of his consciousness and influence, mm-hmm. then the, the assassin snuffs him out. Taylor, mm. uh, it's, it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. When you go back in history, you see it. Mm-hmm. Almost like, you know, like a, a shadow myth. Somebody's shadowing this boy, mm-hmm. this girl. Mm-hmm. And they get so far, snuff them out. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one of the one of the most beautiful, and that's the, that's a whole. That's the whole. That's the picture of all of black struggle, mm-hmm. of all of black art. Mm-hmm. You know how gorgeous it is, in depicting such deadly force. Mm-hmm. You know. And so the idea is that what, uh, what, what do we do? <clears throat> so, so we talk about it. Yeah. So we write about it. We paint about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, so anyway, we've gone, but I wanted to talk about that and how, you know, the the who is a, uh, how does a, how what what separates literary black literary criticism, or black uh-huh. cultural criticism. Or black film criticism. Right. You know, or black music critical analysis mm-hmm. from just any, just old, always in the mill American mm-hmm. critical right. examination. But you know what? What you, that question is central to Morrison's impact. Because one of the things that I love to think about regarding her, one of the many things I love to think about regarding Morrison is 
her assertion that Faulkner was general was was in actuality some regional literature. Yeah. <laughs> I love to hear her. I yeah. think it was I think it was Charlie Rose that she told that in response to, you know, him asking yeah. about uh did she want to be considered a black writer or um, something? Some, this tacit belief that focusing on, on centering blackness is uh, limiting in some way, whereas centering whiteness is universal <laughs> in some way. Yeah, yeah. And what you just said about uh, what you just queried regarding what is black cultural criticism what is black literature literary criticism what is black film criticism um was central to morrison's quote-unquote project yeah and her project was not to distance herself from whiteness or to marginalize whiteness her project was just to just wallow in blackness like a like a fine <laughs> hog <laughs> and just kick it up and you know you know show us you know show us the 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 good parts and show us the funky parts mm-hmm. and just she just refused to really engage in the conversation about what made blackness universal. And she also said that she preferred being called a black writer, which I thought, which I find so comforting. Yeah. And sometimes I'll forget it. And when I hear other younger writers say, I'm not a black writer. Other black writers say that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll, and I have to remember that Morrison said, I prefer being called a black writer. Yeah. And that brings back that comforting feeling again. Because when I forget what she said and I hear other writers say, I don't want to be just a black writer. I forget the reason why that's making me uncomfortable until yeah. I remember Morrison said, I prefer yeah. being called a black writer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But how did she come into contact with um, with Dumas's work? Well, what happened is <coughs> uh, Quincy Troop, my friend Quincy Troop, mm-hmm. had uh, poet, and he's the editor of of Black Noir. Yeah, Renaissance Renas- Noir. Renaissance or, Noir. Or Black Renaissance. Sure, right, right. Um, he uh, he lived uh, on West. West 96th is, so that's, yeah. In New York near, City. Near, near Central Park. Just, mm. a, just a short walk from Central Park. And uh, he babysat for Morrison. Mm. Um, wow. Uh, for her, son, <laughs> her sons, Harold and Slade. And Slade. The mm-hmm. little boys. And Morrison would go somewhere, pick up the kids, Dropped him off when she had an evening meeting, or maybe she had a date or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, so she would come by and pick up her kids on the way home mm-hmm. again. And as writers do all of the time when they visit each other, mm-hmm. they live in each other's study because they're looking at the books that 
Mm-hmm. That right I had, the, mm-hmm. the host right I had, that they haven't mm-hmm. seen, haven't, don't know about, or haven't read, know about. Mm-hmm. And so Morrison was going through, what's new, what's new? And, and Quincy said, oh, these <clears throat> edited by my friend. She had heard me read mm-hmm. um, at Kamako's, a, a, a cultural store and um, cultural art apparel, Bookstore owned by Amira Baraka's sister. Her name mm-hmm. was Kamako. Mm-hmm. She was later, later uh, murdered by uh, by um, a homeless, an indigent man who are you serious? Had some mental problems. Yeah, his sister was, mm-hmm. and then later his daughter was murdered. That's right. Oh my goodness. So. Ugh, rest in power, Baraka. Yeah. Well, wait. Let's just put a pin in it briefly, right there. You yeah. just dropped some like some giant names there. So I think it's interesting uh, that uh, um, Quincy was sitting Harold and Slade, uh, Morrison's sons, uh, because the belief is that, you know, men don't do caring, sweet things like babysit boys. Um, (laughs) That they are in no way biologically kin to. (laughs) But also, it's interesting to me that they were that cool because I'm one of the unlucky few who never met Morrison in in person. It it hurts me that I never met Morrison and I never met Jane Cortez. But um, I experienced her by proxy as being, like you said, she 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 said of herself, a hard woman. That's right. She's and hard Quincy, and tough. who I have met many times, is right. very curmudgeonly. <laughs> he got an Ishmael Reed spirit sometimes yeah, with him. So it's interesting <clears throat> who I have met. So it's interesting to me that those two were that cool. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and she uh, later, and not, and they weren't bumping heads. And later, and uh, you know, and uh, uh, later in the seventies, uh, she uh, she edited from in house. Mm-hmm. You know, I always say she was she was my editor for the Duma project, mm-hmm. and we did four books together. Okay, and when she was editor, at when Random she was house. editor at Random House, mm-hmm. and I always referred to her as the in house editor, mm-hmm. and myself as the out house editor. <laughs> so she got a kick out of it. We 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 would talk sometimes daily mm-hmm. for two or three weeks on end from from California to New York, mm. and then we talked uh, at least once a week. For, I mean, for you. Weeks on end from from California to New York, mm. and then we talked uh, at least once a week. For, I mean, for you're talking about for years, mm-hmm. and then you know it was like every month because we so. But between the early seventies and the early eighties, mm-hmm. we were in, we were in touch, mm. and we also collaborated not just on the publication of the books, uh, but also. Various kinds of gatherings, mm-hmm. events, mm-hmm. phenomena, public phenomena, cultural phenomena mm-hmm. uh, that <clears throat> that would bring people together to hear writers uh, read writers and celebrities, mm-hmm. Melvin Van Peebles, Angela Davis. I mean, all kinds of people gathered at different places to read from uh, Henry Dumas' work mm-hmm. when his books were released. It was, Wanted to 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 get to broaden that readership. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, Quincy said, "Well, you know, my friend uh, uh, Eugene Redmond 
as, as, as editor of the books. And at that time, it was the two hardbacks that Southern Illinois University of Carbondale had done mm-hmm. to showcase them. They just did a thousand of each book. Mm-hmm. Um, Archibones and Other Stories and Poetry for My People mm-hmm. that Hale Chatfield and I edited. Mm-hmm. He was poetry editor of Hiram Review mm-hmm. at Hiram College in Ohio. Okay. And so we came together. He had been a student of uh, at Rutgers with Dumas. Mm. So he said, she, he said, read these stories. And so Quincy said to me that he gave her the books off the shelf. He said, well, these two. Gave her the book. And he said that she just plopped down on her butt right there at the bookcase on the floor. Mm-hmm. And, he re- and she read until dark. I guess the kids were playing, looking at TV, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. he, she read both books. Mm. The stories, the wow. eight or nine stories, and the, and the book of poems. And then he, she asked, how can I get in touch? And Quincy told her, well, you heard him read poetry in town. In fact, you were one of the women back there making those sounds. You know how West Indian women hiss between their teeth? Because uh-huh. I was reading some love poetry. <laughs> and it so was you, t- were, you were tantalizing the women with your love poetry. Yeah, it was, it was Tony. <laughs> it was Tony Morrison, Tony K. Bambar. It was... Uh, uh, Barbara Masakela, the mm-hmm. sister of Hugh Masakela, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you met Hugh, right? And I here. just, I just found the photos I took of you all, you and Hugh Masakela holding hands. Holding hands, yes. Yeah. So sweet. Um, uh, I mean, all the women, you know, Nikki, whoever was there, they, I, I, was, I heard this, you know, right, and you know, so I was <laughs> so we'll sitting back there. You said, that's all those women right here, man. We're getting off on your love. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> right, it was funny. And we were all young then. I mean, I was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was 32 or something like that. Right. Quincy was late. And, you know, Marson. Um, Youngsters. Yeah, Marson might have been 40, not 40 yet. Mm-hmm. Tony Cave was a little younger than me, so she might have been 28 or something. But mm-hmm. everybody had something out there that was doing something. Yeah, and so he said. Well, you, she told he told her, you know him. So, so, so she said, "Can you put us in touch?" And uh, he gave her my number. Mm-hmm. He said, "She said he's a Quincy told he's a professor and poet in residence out at uh, Cal, Cal State Sacramento." Mm-hmm. So we got in touch, and she first got permission <clears throat> to do to to reprint the the books, you know, at Random House that had been printed by by um, Southern Illinois University, Carbondale Press. Mm-hmm. And then we brought out uh, more books. Mm. So, I mean, it was incredible. We brought out uh, Genoa and the Green Stone. We brought out um, uh, Rope of Wind mm-hmm. and other stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, Genoa is a novel. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I introed, edited and introed all of them. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Oh, June Jordan mm. was there because she was uh, teaching over, well, I think she was teaching over in Brooklyn College. But um, so. Mm. Um, so many people so that are was gone the atmosphere. now. That Tony Cade yeah. is gone. Baraka's gone. And Zaki. June Jordan's who gone. came to uh, Dumas' party at a place called Pegasus. Ntozaki Shange is gone. Shange. Paul Marshall. Paul Marshall was one of the people. Who came in, in to that circle, yeah. in the mm-hmm. circle of yeah. writers during mm-hmm. that time? Mm-hmm. And what years was what years was this? That would have been 
That would have been the late 60s through the mid-70s. And mm. uh, Dumas' books came out in, from Carbondale in 70, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, we started working on them in 69, and they came out in 70. So, um, and then Random House brought them out in 74, mm-hmm. reissued them in 74. Okay. And then in 76, we, we put out the novel. Okay. Um, Janoa and the Green Stone. Is this the novel that you finished? Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. had to finish it. And that's a whole story. Did I talk? Uh, we'll talk about that whole thing. And that's another whole thing. Yeah. It's yeah. like um, literary executorship, and and that can be a, a cottage industry. The number of people who came to me to edit something by their uh, grandfather, who was a bishop, right? Or I mean, just knew. Yeah. I was known on the circuit. Yeah. And uh, one English uh, critic and publisher called me tireless editor of dead and elected black writers. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, anyway, Morrison was responsible for uh, bringing four books Dumas's four yeah. four of Dumas's book out books out to a much wider a wider audience wider right. audience. Right. And I mean, oh at, my at lord! At the same time, she was doing. She was doing Muhammad Ali's biography. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was doing Angela's autobiography. Mm-hmm. She was doing. She brought up Wallace Shanko for an American audience. Okay. She did uh, um, uh, Quincy Troop and with a Gunter shooter. Quincy Troop and with another German critic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Giant Talk, mm-hmm. literature from the Third World. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> She was publishing uh, Tony K. Bambara. Yeah. She was an in-house editor. Yeah. I mean, all kind of stuff. Yeah, now, I Maya just... Maya was um, coming out of that, too, but, not, but she wasn't Maya's editor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tony K. Bambara's uh, The Salt Eaters. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, reread that a couple of years ago, and I'm still confused as to why she doesn't get to be listed as one of the great avant-garde Experimental fiction writers. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's so that, weird to yeah. me. Well, why that's not true. Maya, if I say this or not, uh, <clears throat> Maya Angelou, who had an interesting relationship with Tony. Okay, I'm gonna leave it there for right now. <laughs> <clears throat> she thought that Tony should have backed away from being. Uh, Tony B's editor, because she said that huh. she was being published by Random House, and she thought that it was not a good idea for Tony Morrison to be her editor, because that was uh, in her in her mind that was kind of almost like a inherent competition, and that she might not. Oh, be- because they both were publishing work right. fiction. Yeah, she told me that at her home in, in uh, oh. Sonoma, California. That she thought it was the worst idea, right? For a writer who was being published by a publishing house that was publishing, you know, a, a, a possible competitor mm. of hers. Oh, and she says she just didn't know whether 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 Morrison could really give. Uh, Really usher the Bamber, project through Amber Bambara with the same the, energy yeah, and, yeah. and vigorousness yeah. as she would her yeah. own work. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I know well, that outside yeah. of that, um, readers are lucky that Morrison was in that position when she was because yeah. I can't even think of a roster right now that's doing that kind of work yeah. of uh, black U.S. writers. I can't think of one publishing place right now that where I can go to and say, oh, they published this person and that person and this person and that person, Muhammad Ali and Tony K. Bambara and, you know. Uh, Wally Shoinka. Wally Shoinka. And all I, those, I and, and, and some wonderful anthology like Giant Talk. And, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, like we said, Angela. And, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But. Uh, and then, and mm-hmm. then Morrison just. After the bluest eye just leaned into her muse. Yeah. And just really she she I was talking to um Tiari Jones, who wrote An American Marriage and who, you know, counts Morrison as her as her, you know, greatest influence. Yeah. And I, I hope I'm not telling tales out of school, but she, w- one of her mentors is is Pearl Kleeg. Okay. And Pearl Kleeg, she reported to me, was saying, Toni Morrison is not Lorraine Hansberry, dead at 35. She's not other tragic writers. She, what happened to her was a time to write, handsomely paid, m- much laureled, and what and basically much, much laureled. Oh. You know, that's fed right, it. Right. Given plenty of uh you know uh encouragement and accolades along the way. Morrison received the life that we wish black artists would receive all the time. Yeah. And that's one of the things that though we hate losing her, I, I love the fact that I can look back and she was so well taken care of. That's right. You know what a net worth? No, what was it? Net worth means in the bank. Yeah. Twenty million. Okay. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> of course. So it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> of course. Yeah. 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 She got to see a black president. That's right. She won both of the top prizes, right? She That's got the right. Nobel and the Pulitzer. That's right. Um let's talk. Let's talk about, as we come to a close, this move of black writers uh, writing so that she would be considered for the top prize. What happened with that? Where they took out an ad? That's right. And Maya put my name and then called me and asked, was it okay? <laughs> I got the New York Times. Right, right. Okay. You, you, what, what year was that? That was... Uh, was uh, it 85? Uh, no, right around the Houston Baker and two or three other people led it, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know she got the uh, she got the the Pulitzer right the year after that, or or one of uh, was the National Book Award or or the book uh, the critics. Mm-hmm. One of them she didn't get. Mm-hmm. She got the Pulitzer, and she either got the National Book Award or the or the the, the, the circle. Was this for Beloved? Uh, I can't even remember. No, beloved, be, it was Beloved. After Beloved that she got the, uh, the, 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 the Nobel. Nobel for. Yeah. 
It might have been Song of Solomon. Okay. But the Post-Dispatch critic said, well, somebody writing in the Post-Dispatch said that uh, that Morrison's being lauded the way she was uh, constituted a kind of uh, literary affirmative action. I told Baldwin about Well, that. then you write a book like that. And Baldwin. That's <laughs> yeah. why I tell them. Well, then show me how, how easy it is and Baldwin, <laughs> to write books like she wrote. I told Baldwin about it at Maya's house, and Baldwin said, oh, he said, vindictive, told him, vindictive. Mm-hmm. You know, so vicious, vindictive. <laughs> <laughs> Baldwin was so dramatic. Oh my God! Uh, but uh, white supremacy is so dramatic and yeah. tired, late, honey, just late and tired. Well, so there, um, there, there, the, there <laughs> she had had she had her D and distractors and mm-hmm. and um, you know critics you mm-hmm. know, like uh, uh, excuse me, Charles Johnson. Stanley Crouch, mm-hmm. and 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 were white women critics who uh, she was friends with um, Margaret Atwood, mm-hmm. but a little uneasy. Um, well, it was it was a once in a lifetime kind of thing, mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> she had a formula, you know, which you have to have. Oh yeah, yeah. For, she had a formula and. It um, it was you know she she had it going. I mm-hmm. mean, it, was, it was it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, she told me so. We lived we, Eugene. We lived we lived to be old women, and we're tough. See, that's my in my family. Mm-hmm. And when she was talking to me, telling me that her mother was in her nineties, mm-hmm. <laughs> so she uh, yeah she was. Yeah, very, mm-hmm. yeah. And you know, I gave, I gave, I told you, I gave sixty interviews after and, her death. Yeah, mm-hmm. sixty interviews, and uh, and uh, wow, tell you, and I've gotten so many responses to the article that you know, the, mm-hmm. the one that from the St. Louis American. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I a mean. Lot of people, a yeah. lot of people knew her as a famous woman, and they read her work, but they hadn't heard uh, or seen or known of some of the, you know, some of the underpinning, some of the background. Yeah. And I'm and, just surprised mm-hmm. that, uh, uh, I mean, everybody, everybody, even people, the least literate people have an idea. Mm-hmm. But one woman was telling me about her, and she said, oh, yeah, she said, you know, I saw her on Oprah, and I said, we were just talking, and she said, uh, yeah, and so, so I saw on Oprah, and she was, you know, she had gone, she she had married this young guy, and uh, <laughs> she was talking about trying to get back with him. I said, you know, you're talking about Terry McMillan. Right, not. So she knew a writer, right? And I said, oh, man, it's a very well-educated black woman that I was talking to yeah, in no. California. <laughs> and and when, she said she married this young guy. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and the movie was worth maybe for the work about 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 her. And she she was getting ready to say, wait until they tell. And, um, and I said, you know what you're talking about? She said, who? I said, you're talking about Tar- Terry McMillan. Terry she McMillan. Said, oh, that's right. Morrison. That's right. Right. That's funny. 
But that's interesting that Terry McMillan and Toni Morrison, their names are kind of assonant. Exactly. That's, well, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that sound, that well, Terry, sound connection. Terry, Terry sent Tony flowers and all this, and so Tony mm-hmm. never responded. Mm-hmm. So Terry was, you know, I've known Terry since she was a student. Mm-hmm. Stayed over at my house one night, came from Berkeley for one of our third world. She was a student of, mm-hmm. she was a student of Ishmael Reeds and, uh, and Clyde Taylor mm-hmm. at Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And I, we had those annual Third World Writers and Thinkers Symposium. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. she came to Cal- uh, Sacramento, and the people she came with didn't uh, left her. You know, mm-hmm. she knows. so she stayed. And my, I got I rented like six, six um, uh, rollerway beds. Yeah, and it was good weather. So I had stuff out on a patio and back yeah. of my house. And, yeah. This house you came to when you oh, were yeah. 11. Mm-hmm. So, With the sunken <clears throat> living room. Huh? Didn't it have a sunken, sunken living room. room. Yeah, right. yeah. So everybody, you know, I read the six of those, and everywhere Quincy was staying there, and mm-hmm. everybody. So anyway, um, she um, had said that, you know, when and then she got famous. She was a student, she got famous. Yeah. So she, uh, she said uh, that she would, whenever I needed her. So when she, you know, right when that movie came out, she came, did a freebie, came here, and we had the biggest audience ever in City Hall. He said, you mm. know, all, all over down there, you know, the upstairs, people standing up there, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, like in the theater where you have boxes, but, you mm-hmm. know, you, the City Hall has these tiers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Balconies. Yeah. But, um... So she sent Morrison... Uh, congratulations. Yes, right, she was sending Morrison congratulations, and I said, well, you know, Morrison, you're not gonna, you're not a writer like she's a, like she sees writers. Mm. And she was upset. I don't know what happened. I sent her flowers every time, a telegram. So finally, hmm. Morrison made a statement that said, she must have gotten flack from the, she made a statement saying that she was didn't call any names, but she said she was glad to see that some women uh, uh, were really were making big splashes in, in popular pop fiction, mm-hmm. and she 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 thought it was a good thing. Mm-hmm. So she must have gotten word, must have gotten back to her, right? That uh, you know she was getting all that. You know that's all she said. Didn't call a name. And, well, uh, you know that's all. That's that's an interesting. That's. That's an interesting, quote-unquote, problem that you have introduced that we could spend a lot more time on. But just to say briefly that there is, that Morrison uh, is pulled into a sort of elite uh, cadre of writers. But, you know, it's interesting with English literature. You know, you've got two degrees in it. And I'm finishing my third degree in a in some sort of variation of, of, <laughs> of English literature. You know, people they Dickens is in the canon, and he started off as a serialized popular writer. Who? Dickens. Oh, I know it. I know it. That's right. And so it's interesting how uh, what we what we deem accessible. And I like something that you said, Dad. You said you wanted to be. So you you make this distinction about literary and, and 
literature. Mm-hmm. What did you say? Oh, one of the things that I, what I do in the school, and it's written up in some of the things that I did for the three years I was in the school. That we want, we want elite cadres of literary students, who, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then we want. Uh, and so we want literariness, mm-hmm. and we want good literature read by all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that kind, you know, so that mm-hmm. we want to produce writers in East St. Louis. That's, I was mm-hmm. in the district, mm-hmm. and that's the way I broke it down. With mm-hmm. wanting, mm-hmm. wanting, wanting uh, literature. I wanted wanted literariness because we had all these book clubs mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, but also in the school, and uh, I mean uh, literariness for. Not elitist, but elite cadres mm-hmm. of, right, of, of readers who might, might become writers. Right. And then, but we, want, we wanted literature, good literature, in the hands of all students. Right. Yeah. And, and Morrison <clears throat> is good literature. <clears throat> That's right. And with that, I will end the memoir, My Dad Wouldn't Write, in okay. our special uh, episode about Morrison. And I'm going to tell you, you know, Maybe next time I'll just take it off the cuff because we're tired.